Great job, guys, and great job, Elijah. Thanks for the uh, assist, and uh, so good um, to, to be able to hear the Word of God this morning, and now we open up the Word of God to hear it preached as well, and uh, as always, this is a, a moment that we don't take uh, lightly. It is, um, if the Word of God is rightly interpreted and applied, uh, it is as if God Himself is speaking, and so we seek now to uh, submit ourselves to the Word, and, um, and uh, Lord willing, I have done that first, and now just present to you, uh, my, my job is to tell you what the Scripture already says. So as we begin... Um, you think, what, when, when an emergency happens, think about your own life and the way that you respond. When an emergency happens, what do you do? Um, you know, of course, depending on the severity, you uh, might call 911 or you might, um, you, you, know, might, you might call somebody in your family to tell them about something that's going on. Uh, you know, when, when, uh, we, we all have different natural reactions when things happen in our lives, when emergencies happen, when we come up uh, to challenges or difficulties in our lives, we all have different reactions, natural tendencies that we have. Some of us might freak out, um, you know, or some of us might uh, remain calm when things get a little crazy in our lives. We all have these natural tendencies and natural reactions uh, when challenges or obstacles face us, don't we? And that, to me, uh, I, I see is, is what our text is addressing today. It's what it's about. It's how do we respond as a church, but also as individuals, how do we respond when challenges face us? When difficulties come upon us, how do we respond? What should we do uh, in, in order to um, resolve these issues, whether it be suffering whether it be a problem in a relationship, whether it be uh, persecution, whether it be just relational differences, um, what do we do when we face these challenges? And I believe the answer is found in our text today. So here then is the point of the sermon for us and uh, for warning, I went Baptist on you today and it rhymes, okay? Uh, so here's the, here's the point of the sermon. When the church meets challenges, we meet them with prayer and the Holy Spirit meets us there. When the church meets challenges, we meet them, that is, those challenges, we meet those challenges with prayer, and the Holy Spirit then meets us there. And this needs to be true of our church collectively as a, as a body of believers today gathered together. This needs to be true of us, but it also needs to be true of us individually as Christians as well. So everything that we say today from the text, everything that we, that we see it, that needs to be true of the church also needs to be true of us individually. So this is directly applicable to us as individuals as well as the church as a whole. Okay, So let's get into the text then. Let's look at, back at verse 23 and then the first part of 24. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Okay. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me remind you what happened earlier in chapter 4. Peter and John, the apostles, um, are facing the first threat of persecution uh, in the history of the early church. They have, been, uh, they have faith in God and they've been proclaiming the gospel. They've been, uh, they've been sharing the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead and they are locked up and thrown in jail for a night by the uh, Jewish authorities at the time, the religious authorities. They're trying to shut it down. So Peter and John, they face, they're facing some persecution. This is uh, the first um, challenge that the early church has really come up against, the first difficulty that they've faced. 
So Peter and John come back, and uh, they come back, and it says, interestingly, this is a side note, it says he comes back to their friends. And I, that caught me off guard when it says they came back to their friends. And I looked it up. This, uh, this word elsewhere is translated as their own. So it could say something like, uh, when they came back to their own. So these are, uh, this is just a, a way of communicating that the church um, is our people. You know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're also friends, and these are also our people. We belong to one another, and that's what the text is communicating to us today. But Peter and John, they're kept in custody, and they come back, and they tell um, their own, the people, they tell the church what had happened to them. They tell them of this obstacle, this challenge that they're facing, that, that persecution is looming. There's a, there's a storm on the horizon. There's challenges coming, uh, and so they, they tell them what's going on, and how does then the first church, how does the early church respond? Indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, how is the church going to respond to the first challenge that they see? The first obstacle that they come up against, the first major hurdle that they have to jump over. They can look out in the distance, there's persecution looming, there's challenges coming. Now, how are they going to respond? You know, here we go. <laughs> this is the moment. The church has come to a, a fork in the road. You can go one way or another. In the face of uncertainty, when the outlook doesn't look very clear, we're not sure what it looks like up there, we face challenges. How are we going to respond? The current situation, let me tell you, the current situation that we face in our church uh, is not so different because the reality is, as we move forward as a church, as we're trying to, to follow the Lord's will, as we're trying to be obedient to Him, we will face challenges. We will come upon difficulties. And the same is true for you as an individual follower of Jesus as well. As you are seeking to obey Him, to, to follow Jesus, and to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, you will face challenges, won't you? Of course. You're going to face challenges. But how do we as a church, and how do you as an individual what happens when you face that moment of a challenge, when you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I, what am I going to do? The temptation will be this. When facing challenges, the temptation will always be to rely upon our own intelligence and to rely upon our own skills and to rely upon our own ingenuity to face the challenge. That will always be a temptation for us as humans. To, to think, okay, how can I get through this? What can I do to, to, uh, to navigate this, this difficulty? And this is a natural human tendency, but it would be uh, one that does not, it is not uh, faithful to what the scripture calls us to. I've heard it said something like this. It's a dangerous place to be in the church when you're so gifted and talented that you can pull it off without God. You know, it's a dangerous place for us to be when we think that we are gifted enough and that we are smart enough and that we are creative enough to do things on our own, to pull it off on our own. And in the process, we leave out God. This is a dangerous place for us to be because we need God. We need to rely upon Him and His Holy Spirit. And that's what the early church, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, recognized then. So what happens as soon as they hear of the challenge? I mean, it is the, in the same breath, verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. I mean, it's like a, it's a natural reaction. I mean, this is in the same breath. They hear of the challenge. They hear of the persecution that's coming. They hear what has happened to Peter and John. 
They hear of this challenge, and they lifted their voices together to God. I mean, it's it, like, it, just, it, is a, it is a natural reaction for them to hear of it and, and to pray. Um, may it be true of us as well. As you, as an individual Christian, as you are seeking to follow Jesus, and for us as a church, as a whole, as we are trying to seek to be faithful, when we face challenges, and they will come, when we go through difficulties, and they will come, may we first, our first reaction be to lift our voices together to God. To not think, okay, what, what can I do uh, to figure this out on my own, or, or uh, let me share all of my opinions about what I think we need to be doing, or whatever it might be. May we first lift our voices together to God. Let's follow the example of the early church here. And now we need to look at this prayer that they pray. In the face of persecution, in the face of this challenge, we need to look at this prayer because um, it is instructive to us, not just that they pray, not just that they pray, but how they pray is instructive to us as well. So this is good for us. It, it is good for us that we talk to God. It is good to us that we pray. Um, that is a, a good first step, but it is important to know how we pray, how we communicate to God is important as well. Now, um, I have a marriage story to illustrate this reality, that it is important uh, not just that we communicate, but how we communicate as well, okay? Um, you might have had situations and circumstances like this. Sometimes in our lives, Emily Claire, my wife, will say things like, Alec, come here! And uh, in a frantic tone of voice, you know, and uh, let me tell you, when I hear that voice and when I hear uh, that there's something wrong, there, there's something going on, I, my heart rate doubles, I drop what I'm doing, I break things on my way to get to wherever she is to figure out what is going on and to help, right? So this form of communication. And dear one, let me tell you, I have found when I reach that point where she is, I have found the array of things that have happened, okay? Anything from something very serious, like our child is choking and needs help to, like, breathe, uh, to a moth being in the corner of the room, <laughs> right? But it's the same type of communication. It is the same, type of, uh, the same type of tone of voice. The same words are being used to communicate two very different realities. Now, let me tell you, marital growth can happen, Okay? If you feel stuck in your marriage and like you can't communicate any better, Emily Claire, my wife, beautifully has illustrated that. that this very week, okay, she was getting the baby ready to put in the car seat and getting ready to go. And I was getting ready as well. And we we're kind of going to go our separate ways. And she came back in from being in the garage and said, Alec, come here. A bird is trapped in the sticky bug trap in our garage. Okay, now don't miss this. She, the, the clarity of communication meant everything to me. Because she had the baby out there. I mean, if she would have just said, Alec, come here, I, what, have I, what, I, what would I have thought? Immediately, there's something wrong. I'm going to hurt myself to get wherever. But what I was able to do is set my coffee down and, and quickly get to the thing. And that bird is now out of the trap and living a happily ever after bird life, okay? Um, but the, the point is this. Um, communication, it is important not just that we communicate, but how we communicate is maybe of equal importance, 
Okay? So when we look at the, the church's prayer here, it is instructive to us to learn how we pray, not just that we pray. It is important that we pray, but how we pray is equally important. Now, let's look at these, um, these words with us. Let's look at the prayer. Look how they start in uh, the second part of verse 24. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So the early church then starts this prayer as they're facing the first challenge that they have faced. They begin their prayer with a declaration and a reminder of who their God is. That's where we start. A a, a reminder and and a remembering in prayer of who our God is. Now, you will notice that um, Jesus also taught us how to pray. We know it as the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Now, those words are uh, good for us to repeat as a prayer, but Jesus was actually giving us a template as well. And you'll see that this, um, this prayer actually follows that template well. So you could see Sovereign Lord who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them is actually a way of saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the, the church is going to follow Jesus' pattern of prayer as we go along here. So um, it is important that we recognize who our God is. Who in prayer, as we come to him, whenever we are facing a challenge, whatever it may be in our lives or in the life of the church, uh, may we come with a humble recognition of who our God is. He's a sovereign Lord, the creator of everything. Now, how does a recognition of who God is shape the way that you pray? I think that often, probably too often, we come to God in prayer um, approaching him as if he is a genie who can give me my three wishes and give me whatever I want. I think we often approach our God in that way. We come to God with our list of needs and our list of wants and the things that we want and try and get him to do what our will is. <laughs> try, trying to get God's will to match up with our own will. But this prayer is instructive to us because as we come to God, humbly recognizing that he is the sovereign Lord, meaning he is in control. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. What God wants to happen is going to happen. And when we approach him as the sovereign Lord, as our creator, who we can have fellowship and communion with, I think that changes our posture then as we come to him in prayer. When we recognize who our God is. You see, prayer really changes us. Yes, um, God is pleased to hear our prayers and in his own sovereignty act in accordance with our prayers. I mean, miracle of miracles, that is true. But as we come to the Lord in prayer, um, when we rightly understand who he is, it is going to shape the way that we talk to him. Because he is not a a genie that needs to be rubbed in order to give us uh, what we want. Um, he is our creator who has rescued us and saved us, who is accomplishing his will. And it is um, our desire then to align our will with God's will and not try and get God to do what we want him to do. So that's how we approach God. And that is instructive for us today as we approach him as the sovereign Lord, creator of everything. How we understand God and how we approach him will shape the way that we communicate to him. So we think first, what does God want? 
What does my sovereign Lord want from me? Not what God, here's what you can do for me. So we approach him and that shapes our prayer. Our prayer starts with a recognition and a reminder of who our God is. Just like Jesus taught our Father who is in heaven. So we want God's name to be held in high regard, treated as holy and sacred because of who he is. And then this prayer continues then in uh, verse 25. So it starts with a recognition and a reminder of who our God is. And then we get to um, a remembering of what God has said. So the early church now reminds themselves of what God has said. And they quote Psalm chapter 2. This is verses 25 and 26, and then they go on to explain it in 27 and 28 as well, um, where they are recognizing and seeing that the suffering that Jesus has gone through and then the subsequent challenges and suffering and persecution that they are going through is actually exactly what God said would happen in Psalm chapter 2. They're saying, God, I, I see that you've promised this. Um, you are the sovereign Lord of the universe, and this is what you've said is going to happen. You see what, I mean, they're not really uh, in the sense of praying and asking for something. They haven't even got there yet. They're recognizing who their God is, and they are um, preaching to themselves, reminding themselves of what he has done and what he has said he's going to do. Again, this is instructive for us as we come to the Lord in prayer. We, um, we recognize who he is, and then we remember what he has said. What are, what are the promises that he has, um, that he has given us? What, what can we trust and rely on? Not to just say, God, here's what I want you to do for me, but what have you said you're going to do, and how can I align myself with what that is? You see, this prayer is instructive. Um, this is interesting. Uh, in verse 28, as they're praying, they said that um, all of these things has happened, the suffering of Jesus has happened, and now this has happened. Verse 28 to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God is the sovereign Lord whose plans and his purposes, they come to fruition. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. Now, um, God's absolute sovereignty and man's moral responsibility and accountability before God are seen together here, aren't they? Some of you have maybe never thought about this. Some of you, this keeps you up at night. Um, if God is absolutely sovereign, if he is the absolute sovereign God of the universe and is directing everything and is in charge of everything and is going to accomplish his will, then aren't we just robots? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the, the sovereign Lord of the universe? How does that work? Well, um, let me tell you that, that they are held together here. That God's absolute sovereignty and man's responsibility are held together in this text? Um, the answer is no, you are not a robot. You are a absolutely free creature created by God in the image of God who will be held accountable to God for everything that you do in this life. And God is bringing about his predetermined plan through your free actions. Both things are true. And uh, this is difficult to wrap our minds around, of course, because this is how we experience it. But we can trust that God is the absolute sovereign Lord of the universe, and he chooses to use us, his creatures, to accomplish his will. And, um, you know, if that's not a satisfying answer, I'm sorry, that's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> and uh, as Charles Spurgeon once said of this supposed problem, it's not an, I mean, 
might be a philosophical problem, but if we can trust the Lord, um, we know that it's, it's not necessarily a problem. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, there's no need to reconcile friends. You know, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, they are, they are friends. There's no need to reconcile them. They're not against each other. Both things are true, and it runs throughout Scripture, okay? Um, but this prayer is instructive for us. Because after we recognize who our God is, and after we remember what he has said, and we remind ourselves of the truth, now we are in this position to then ask God, uh, we, now we can petition him. You know, the second part of the prayer where they remind themselves what God has said, this is like what Jesus told us to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, isn't it? This is exactly the way that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and here they are doing it. Good for them. May we do the same. Um, so we then pray for God's will to be done. And uh, what God's will is, is found in his word. It is found in the scripture. And that's exactly what you see the early church doing here. In my years so far of pastoral ministry, uh, the way that Champion Forest has worked, we, we do hospital visitations kind of on a rotation. And so <clears throat> over the past few years, I've been in, I think, probably hundreds of hospital rooms with people who are sick, who are having surgery, who are dying, um, and um, these are challenging situations and challenging circumstances that we walk into and that we go through in this life. Um, how do we pray in those situations? How do we know what to pray whenever our lives are falling apart, whenever the wheels feel like they're coming off, whenever we don't know where to turn or what to do? How do we know how to pray? Well, what this is teaching us here is that we should use God's word as a template and as a prompt for us to pray. And so in these situations and in these um, in the hospital rooms where we go and visit, I, I kind of just take a conglomeration of, uh, of scripture and just pray it. Something, a combination of Psalm 34 and Romans 8. I say something like this, um, Lord, we bless you at all times and your praise is continually on our lips. Lord, you say that when we seek you, you answer and you deliver us, and that those who look to you are radiant, so we look to you now and we cry out to you for help. Would you bring healing and peace? Would you deliver and bring healing by whatever means you see fit? You say you are near to the brokenhearted, so be near to us now. And, and we know ultimately that you're working everything out for our good and for your glory, and so we trust that and we want to see you at work even in this hospital room. Lord, would you show us how you are working it out for our good and for your glory, and we can trust you. You know, that's, that's all we can pray. You know, when, when, you, when you are speechless, just open up the Psalms and begin, to, and begin to pray it back to God. And that's the example that we see here. That what God, who God is as the sovereign Lord and creator, and what he has promised and what he has said in his word, then shapes our prayer. And after these two steps of prayer, then they finally get to what they're actually asking the Lord for. And um, again, what does the church ask for in the face of persecution? In the face of potentially death? In the face of absolute challenge and difficulty? What are they going to do? What are they going to pray for? And what they pray for should never cease to shock us. In verse 29, they pray for more boldness. 
Now, I don't, I haven't quite maybe worked out all the theology, but like oftentimes when we go through a difficult time, we're like, Lord, take me out of this. <laughs> Get me out of here. What are you going to do? Uh, work this out, please. Instead, the example of the early church, verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Uh, I think the biggest temptation in this situation, and for us as well, you as an individual, and collectively as a church, as we move forward, as we seek to honor the Lord in what is to come, I think the biggest temptation for them and for us would just be to quit. Wrap it up. I mean... Hey guys, it's been fun, but I don't want to die, so I'll see you later. Um, right? I mean, that's that that would be, I think, what makes the most sense anyway. Um, and we we will face the very similar things. When when potholes in the road are, are destined to come up, when obstacles come, when challenges come, um, we could use all of those as excuses to say, I'm out of here, or um, we can use it as an opportunity to unify, to lift our voices together to God, and, and to see what he's going to do as he is at work in our lives and in our church. Um, the example that we're given here is an example of tremendous faith and, uh, and unity as they pray together. <clears throat> no matter what external or internal pressure uh, the church is facing here, or what we might face in our lives, um, may we take it to prayer and pray for more boldness and continue to proclaim the gospel. So the church met a challenge. They met that challenge with prayer. And then guess what happens in verse 31? The Holy Spirit meets them there. Only after... They step out in faith only after they um, pray in the face of this difficulty and in the face of this challenge. Then the Holy Spirit is poured out in a, in a fresh way and makes the walls shake. You see that in verse 31? Um, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So their prayer was answered, and they got more of the presence of God. Often, um, well, I think it's instructive to us, you might have already put this together, it, I, I think it is very instructive to us that it is only after they pray that then the Holy Spirit is poured out in power. It is only after they um, meet this challenge with prayer that then there is a, that there is a fresh filling of the Spirit. And often in our challenges, when we go through difficulties, we think, where is God? What is he doing? Um, but here, the answer seems to be that, of course, God is with us in the difficulty and in the challenges. He is with us. We have his personal presence. It's not going anywhere. But then there is more of his presence to be had when we trust him in prayer. And um, I've experienced this before. I've may have told this story, I'm not sure. I, I became a Christian in high school, uh, like I was a freshman, 13, 14 years old, trusted the Lord, and uh, my family, I don't know oh, my mom has ever heard this story, so mom, if you're watching, 
Hey. Uh, so my parents weren't Christians, um, and uh, when I became a Christian, I agonized over trying to get my parents and my family to come to church. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I, I was agonizing over this, trying to figure out, you know, how do I ask them? Uh, you know, what do I do? I, I, you know, is there some, can I like, you know, you're tempted to like do the bait and switch thing. Like, hey, there's donuts, you know, or whatever we think is going to work uh, to, to get people to come to church uh, as if we need some sort of attraction. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead for goodness sake. Anyway, um, like, so... Uh, I agonized over this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then finally I reached that point, and maybe you've reached a point in your life where you hit something like this, where you kind of hit rock bottom, and you're like, Lord, I cannot do this. I cannot do it on my own. Um, we come to what we might call the end of ourselves, where it's like, I'm tired of trying to figure this out on my own. God, I'm giving it to you, and I need you to, to work it out. I need you to do a miracle, and I'm just totally reliant upon you because I can't do it in my own strength and in my own creativity and my own whatever. And that very night when that happened, I can't make this up, my mom walks in to my room apropos of nothing and says, hey, you know, if you ever, if you ever want, I'll go to church with you. <laughs> you can't make that up. It is only after we trust the Lord in prayer when we face challenges, it is only after that where he really meets us and does a work in our lives. Now, you might call this a leap of faith, stepping out in faith, whatever it is, and these are things that are very hard and things that we don't want to do, and I wish it was not that way. <laughs> I wish that I could remain comfortable doing my own thing, uh, feeling really good, having security, having comfort, not really having to be challenged in my faith. And I wish the Lord would just show up and do a work right there when I'm sitting back watching football, you know, or whatever. I wish that that was the case. Um, but that this is just the principle of how God works. It is only when we trust him. It is only when we step out in faith, only when we meet our challenges with prayer and utter dependence and trust on him that he shows up and he does a miraculous work. One of my uh, friends, ministry mentors, his name's Mike Taylor. Emily Claire and I had lunch with him and his wife back in April when we were agonizing over what the future of our church was going to look like and what was the best direction. And uh, he said something along these lines where he's like, I, I think this might be a situation and a circumstance where you just have to step out in faith and trust God and uh, it is only then where he's going to, to meet you. And that is just proven to be absolutely true. It is only when we step out in faith into the unknown, only when we're trusting him in prayer, that um, the Lord really does a, a, a work there and, uh, and shows up and meets us in a fresh and new way. Again, it's very annoying. But I, I want God to meet me there. I, I mean, I want, do you want his presence in your life? Do you want to feel like you're making a difference, like you're doing something for the kingdom of God? Or are you bored? If you're bored, let's step out in faith. Where, where is he challenging you? What challenge do you have? And how are you going to, to trust him in prayer? Because he is the sovereign Lord. He is working it all out. I mean, th this, is, this is what Jesus came for. Where, where is his will going to be done in your life? Let's step out and trust him and, uh, and walk in faith. This is the principle of how God works. Now, 
let's look at the results of this prayer. Verse 32 shows us that these challenges that are met with prayer, the Holy Spirit comes, and the result of the Holy Spirit coming is unity. Look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed. Now we've just heard uh, that the number is about 5,000 men. So we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people now who are trusting in Jesus. There is, but, but now as they face this challenge, as they've prayed together, these thousands of people now have a supernatural unity. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So tremendous unity is brought about as the church meets challenges with prayer. The result, we get the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we get the unity that comes about as well. Um, crises of faith, maybe you know this to be true in your own life, when we go through crises of faith, um, they are used to refine us. When we go through the gauntlet in life, we are refined and we are sanctified, meaning we are made more like Jesus as a result of the difficulties and the challenges and the pain that we go through in this life. God does not waste it. He uses it to make us more like Jesus. And that's what we see here, that the church faces this first challenge, that of persecution. They have this crisis of faith. We can rely on our own ingenuity and our own strength to try and figure out how to navigate around this thing, or we can quit or we can trust God and keep going forward. So they become more Christ-like as a result. And they become more unified than ever before as they meet this crisis of faith with prayer. And I think this is a principle for us. That as we face challenges as a church, as you face challenges as an individual, we must take them to God in prayer and allow them to refine us, to make them, uh, allow them to make us more like Jesus, even though that is not a... A nice process. It is not without pain. It is not without difficulty. But the end result is that we look more like Jesus. And the end result is that we are more unified. We are more together. We are of one heart and soul. And division is an acid that can destroy even a once solid foundation of a church. A church can start on a solid foundation of scripture and prayer and can start off solid and be built but as challenges face that church if the church does not bring it in prayer and division happens that division is an acid that can corrode and erode a once firm foundation until it topples over so the church is only going to be built up and it is only going to continue to be healthy in so much as we meet our challenges with prayer and the result is a Holy Spirit brought unity amongst the people. It's the only way forward. The only alternative is division and separation and ultimately crumbling down. So, um, there is no greater apologetic, I believe. There is no greater... Uh, um, message to send to our world that is more divided now than ever, it feels like anyway, um, than a unified church. 
What greater thing can we show the world that there are people, there is a people of all different backgrounds, nationalities, uh, colors of skin, languages, backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, etc., etc., etc. There is a diverse people that can come together um, on Sunday mornings and proclaim that there is a man that rose from the dead that demonstrate a supernatural unity. They're together despite their differences. What greater apologetic is there for a watching world? The alternative, division, uh, means that we just look like the rest of the world. We're reflecting the culture more than we are reflecting our Savior. So may we uh, be built upon a foundation of prayer that um, demonstrates our faith in God, that brings about a supernatural unity amongst our people a oneness of heart and soul. And uh, that oneness of heart and soul means that we take care of one another. It means that we love one another. The example here, they're selling everything they have to meet the needs of one another. Again, not an abolition of private property, but a freely giving to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters, our friends, our people, because we belong to one another. And lastly, challenges met with prayer brings unity, but now we see that challenges met with prayer bring what I'm going to call gospel clarity. Challenges met with prayer bring gospel clarity. I see this in verse 33, where it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The challenge that the church faced um, allowed them to clarify that which was most important to them. Do you see that? The result of their challenges, the result of this crisis of faith, as they then turn it to prayer, the result is they figure out what is most important for us to do, and that which is most important is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their challenges um, was used as a refining tool to bring about their priorities, that which is most important. And isn't that what difficulties and challenges do in our lives, they reveal that which is most important to us. You know, how many times have we lost loved ones too soon and uh, we say things like, oh, we wish, we wish we would have had more time, you know? That's revealing to us a priority that we have, that which is most important to us in our lives when we go through challenges and difficulties. And the same is true, that when the church faces challenges, when we go through difficulties, may we respond like this to say, what is most important it is that we are a faithful witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we, no matter what, internal or external pressure to do something else, what we're going to do is we're going to stand firm upon the gospel of Jesus. We're going to declare with boldness the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that any who would trust in him can be saved. That's the message that we're going to be built upon and that is going to always be our biggest priority as a church. But is it your biggest priority as an individual? Something to consider. What is most important? When you go through difficulties and challenges, does your faith and your testimony to what Jesus has done, does it prove to be what is most important to you when you go through difficulties and challenges in this life? May it be so. A gospel clarity comes out of this challenge. And again, the church as a whole across the United States and across the world is going to continue to go through challenges and difficulties. 
but may the priority, the primacy, um, the number one thing that we care about be declaring what Jesus has done to save sinners through his life, death, and resurrection. Because that's what Jesus is all about. That's why we're here. That's why we're gathered today to talk about what Jesus is doing to save a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. This is what Jesus came to do, to preach the good news, to, to tell that the creator, the sovereign Lord of the universe, he actually entered into his own creation to redeem it and to rescue it and to save people, sinners, broken, just like you and me. And he's making a new people and bringing about a supernatural unity that's going to flip the world upside down and you and I get to be a part of it. So if we trust in Jesus to save, the one who lived the perfect life, the one who paid the penalty for our sin to make us right with God, if we trust him, we are made right with God. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never trusted in him to save, I pray that you would today. And then, as a result, the rest of us, us, the local body, I pray that we would be the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, and we would follow the model of the early church in Acts, that when we face challenges as individuals and as a church, we would take it to the Lord in prayer first and foremost, trust him in faith, continue to follow him, experience his presence in a new way, and then that there would be a unity and an urgency to preach the gospel as a result. Would you pray with me that these things would be true of us? We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.